So we are continuing our series on James. Um, and I'm just going to give you a little insight into my prayer life at the moment. Um, I've been, been walking the streets of London and saying to myself, God, you better be doing a good work in me. You better be using this time to be doing some work on my character. I will be... Um, reaping the fruit of this time for many years to come. I've become somewhat of a sass pot to God and basically saying, you better be doing this refining work in me, otherwise all this is just very infuriating. And I do believe that refining is one of the things that he's doing in his church at the moment. He is purifying our faith and he is purifying our lives. The refining image goes right the way through the Bible And I want us to have it in our minds as we read this passage in James. Um, And I just, if you're not a a fine craftsman in precious metals like gold and silver, I'm just going to explain the process of what it looks like when you refine silver and gold. The refiner will break up, um, I've written actually the road, will break up the road. Um, It's break up the rock. Maybe I was thinking about rocky roads at the time, which controversially I'm actually not a massive fan of. Um, So the refiner would break up the rocks, not the road, holding the precious metal like silver and gold. And then he would put it in a pot, a crucible, and that pot would go in the fire and it would melt down. And then as it melted down, the impurities would come to the surface and the refiner was able to skim off the impurities, the dross. And, and then he would know um, it was, his work was complete when he could see his face in the metal. When the, the metal was shining and he could see his reflection, that's when he knew his work was done. So he could see his reflection. And James is speaking to a church in persecution. They're going through really rough times. You might say that they are like the... Um, Um, the the rocks that have been crushed down and they're in the fire. They're the broken bits of rock in the middle of the fire. And some think James is being really harsh to them. Actually, what they need in this moment is comfort. They need like an arm around the shoulder, a little thumbs up, you're doing so well. But I actually think that James does one of the kindest things he can possibly do to them. He invites them into purification. He invites them to to recognise the work of the Spirit, recognise that this is a moment for purification, a moment where um, your faith can be broken down and the impurity can rise up and be skimmed off by the refiner and that same invitation is for us as well we are going through challenging times this is a purification process for us individually personally for us as a church and for us nationally as a church and the other day Pete said spoke about what it might feel like for some people that actually your faith has never felt weaker. Almost like you're in that melting process and your faith which used to feel so solid is now feeling kind of like intangible and that, fe- that can be incredibly disorientating and that kind of feels like having lots of questions about your faith, endless questions about the goodness of God. But I want to encourage you that that wrestle is actually an incredibly intimate moment. You think about the, the conflicts that you have with friends. Actually that wrestle that conflict when it's done healthily is an opportunity to get to know one another better to actually understand one another better it's an incredibly intimate moment so I want to say to you don't feel shame if you've got a lot of questions at the moment but actually just hold on in the wrestle this is an intimate moment But I want to focus on today is the part of the process that when actually we start to see the impurities coming to the surface, those bits that tarnish the gold, both in us personally and us as a community, the dross, the impure, that which is not helpful, that which stops us from reflecting the image of our maker. 
And for me, that's been the story of 2020 and 2021. Um, all the muck has come to the surface in my soul and I've seen it with greater clarity. And I think that's been happening in the wider church as well. Even this very month, we've seen some ugly things and it is by no means comfortable. And honestly, a lot of people would choose not to engage in this process, that it would be too uncomfortable for them. And human beings, we are just experts in deluding ourselves. We are so good at convincing ourselves and others that we don't have any issues, we haven't got any problems. We're so sophisticated at defending the challenges away from ourselves. And maybe I'm just talking to myself, but I think not. Our strategies are to run away, avoid it, just stuff other things, distract ourselves so we start to feel comfortable and we're not facing the challenge. And a major technique is to deflect, to start thinking about everybody else's problems, start pointing to that person and that group and make them the baddies so we don't have to deal with what's going on in ourselves and have to confront our own brokenness. And I want to invite you this morning as much as possible to receive this challenge from James. I, I want to challenge you not to receive it on behalf of anyone else, but on behalf of yourself and behalf of us as a community. Let this be for us and for you. Um, so we're going to listen to James holding in that image of refining and Rachel, the wonderful Rachel from the East London gathering is going to be reading to us. And Rachel, I believe, works in, uh, is volunteering with our food bank. Can we get her up on the screen so we can say a little hello? She, invol she volunteers in our food bank. She actually joined um, KXC just before the pandemic. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, just before the <laughs> pandemic. Has thrown herself in and got involved in the food bank. Um, and you've been a total gift to our community. So Rachel's going to read to us and then we'll come back and look at the passage. Great. So I'm reading James 2, 1 to 13. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonoured the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the rule law found in scripture, love your neighbour as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Oh man, thank you so much, Rachel. Um, it's incredible. So a quick reminder of who is writing this letter. It's James, believed to be the brother of Jesus. And I think that's a pretty good argument when you read his letter. You can actually see a lot of similarities between his teachings and the teachings of Jesus. 
For James, um, it's kind of the same faith that Jesus talks about, of this one that is embodied. It's not just something about knowing the right things in a future glory. It's about faith lived out right now. And Jesus was the one who said, come and follow me. Come and be my disciples. And to be a disciple was to be an apprentice, someone who would actually learn to become like the rabbi, learn what the um, rabbi was doing, taking on their habits, their routines, the way they saw the world, the way they saw other people. That is kind of, that is what James is expecting from this group of people. He's writing to them as if he's expecting them to be apprentices of Jesus. Someone that, people that spend time with Jesus, that become like him and do the things that Jesus did. So, which is why in, J, in verses one to seven, James is really confused by their behavior because they are honoring the rich over the poor. That's not the sort of life that Jesus led. They're giving preference to the rich so that they can earn favor. Did Jesus do that? Absolutely not. Would he be giving them the priority and the best seats in the house? No. So James is like, why are you doing that? Why are you doing that? He's so confused. And he really goes for the jugular because he points out their hypocrisy, not just as a thing that happens in their daily life, but in their, in their worship setting. He says in the very same place where you're worshipping, where you're praying, where you're breaking bread, where you're singing, where you're reading the scriptures, all these actions say you love Jesus. And yet it was Jesus who said, if you love me, then you will do what I say, a.k.a. you will do what I do. And Jesus is pointing out that their worship and their behavior are incompatible. It doesn't make sense to worship Jesus, the one who violated the norms of every um, divider that separated people, whether it was class, whether it was gender, ethnicity, religious or political views, and then do the absolute opposite. It's impossible to say, actually, you love Jesus and then do that. And James is prepared for them to start wiggling out because in verses 8 to 11, he starts saying, you know, you can't pick and choose which laws you follow, which ones you like. You can't have selective obedience here. You can't say, I have not committed adultery, but you've committed murder. You can't say, oh, I've, I haven't done that one, but then you have done this one. He's essentially saying, you can't say you, can, um, you haven't committed adultery, you haven't committed murder, but then not love your neighbor as yourself. He's pointing out that this is impure dross in their faith. It's something that is tarnishing their faith and it's stopping people from seeing the reflection of Jesus in them. So it's got to come out. This is a kind thing that James is doing to them. And it might sound like James is all about works. It's all about proving yourself and doing this and doing that and not about grace. But the reason, um, James then roots the reason for their behavior as a lack of grace that they clearly don't understand what grace is. Otherwise, they wouldn't be treating people like that. In verse 12, it says, speak and act as, the, as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Why is that so important? Well, how has God judged us? How has God judged them? Because all have fallen short. All of us have debts, have darkness, have weakness in us that have nothing to recommend us to God. All of us. Every single one of us needs the mercy of God. And yet in Jesus, because of what he has done, because of his life, because of his death and because of his resurrection, we are all forgiven. And he, we are considered children, debt-free, liberated, holy saints of Jesus forgiven. Mercy has triumphed over, just, over judgment in our lives. But the church that James is speaking to 
is judging those who enter. They're judging whether they're good enough for them. They're judging whether they have actually something to offer them, to recommend them to them to them themselves. That's the exact opposite of the way God has treated them. Even though they have received the mercy of God, it isn't evident among them. That is where not what you would expect from people who have encountered mercy. And what's more, this would just be so confusing for James because he would have hung around with Jesus and he would have seen the poor treated as teachers of grace and mercy. You see it in the Gospels. Those who knew that they were where they needed mercy ran to Jesus the quickest. Those who were considered outcasts found kindness in him. And then Jesus pointed to them and said, let them be your teachers. It was the ones who, re the ones who rejected him were the ones who thought that they had a righteousness of their own. That they thought, do you know what, whether it's my wealth or my, my righteous deeds, I've got that to recommend me to God. They don't recognize their need for the mercy of God. And Jesus in his teachings, James would have sat there while Jesus was teaching. And when he, he saw those who were rejected and outcast coming quickly to Jesus and encountering mercy and being changed by it. He would have sat there when Jesus was in the temple and this widow came in, probably a single parent, came in with hardly any money. And the little money that she had, she gave. And Jesus said, you see that? You see that generosity? That's, let her be your teacher. Be like that. James would have sat there when the woman who was, um, whose life was only known by her sexual history came into a room. And she knelt at Jesus' feet, washed his feet with his hair, poured expensive perfume over his feet in Luke 7. And Jesus um, points to her in front of all these Pharisees and said, let her be your teacher. This woman knows what it is to be forgiven. And that is what worship looks like. Let her be your teacher. James would have sat there, but would have been there when the centurion soldier, this Roman soldier, came to, um, to Jesus and said, Jesus, will you heal my um, servant? Will you heal him? But you know what? You don't even need to come to my house to heal him. I know you've got so much power that you can just say the word and he will be healed. This Roman man who was from the wrong race, Jesus says, you see him? I have never seen any faith like that in the whole of Israel, the right race. I, and let him be your teacher. J James would have sat there when the little children, Jesus invited the little children to come in front of this big crowd and said, let them be your teachers, become more like them. So it makes sense that James is a little outraged at the church's behavior because he isn't used to the poor, the orphans and the widows being treated as second class citizens. Instead, he's seen them as teachers. Which explains Luke, um, explains verse 5. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has God not chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? He's used to them being his teachers. And this is where I want to turn and look at us. Because I believe if we get this right, if we hear this message, we will become good news people. Because COVID has further divided us and further exposed the divisions that already existed. There are political, racial and class divisions around, all around us. And we're becoming an increasingly ageist society. Our culture is not unlike the one that James is speaking to. 
one that's filled with prejudice and hatred based on class, ethnicity, nationality, and religious background. And Jesus and James says to the church, not in the church. It doesn't belong in the church. It's an impure thing and it needs to come out. And sadly, do you know what? We've become so obsessed with being relevant and like the world that we haven't offered anything distinctive and different. I read this uh, quote in The Spectre um, by a guy called Ben Sixsmith, and I just want to read it out to you. I am not religious, so it is not my place to detect to Christians what they should and should not believe. Still, if someone has a faith worth following, I feel that their beliefs should make me feel uncomfortable for not doing so. If they share 90% of my lifestyle and values, there is nothing especially inspiring about them. Instead of making me want to become more like them, it looks very much as if they want to become more like me. How gutting is it to read that, but how true. The church needs to be the church for the world to be the world. The church needs to be a distinctive type of community. It's our way of serving the world. Because everybody wants to heal these divisions. Everybody's trying to heal them. They recognize, we're not alone in recognizing that there are divisions, but, everyone, um, but the different methods often end up further adding division because it's an enforced ideology on people. The only community, and people might call me arrogant for saying this, but I believe that the only community that can thrive and cross the dividing lines of hostility are a Jesus people. People who are united not by their background or by their wealth or by their education or by their social skills, but by the mercy of Jesus, that they have encountered the mercy of Jesus. And it will mean looking like we're losing our prejudice of the other and befriending people whose lives who look very different to ours. The posh white boy is not your enemy. Those who have additional needs are not a problem to solve, but they are your teachers. Maybe um, we shouldn't be running from people whose lives feel chaotic, but rather taking down the mask of our order. It's not about demanding that people fit into our culture, but learning about theirs. It's about worshipping and studying scripture alongside people who belong to a di different political party. It's not about judging people on their age, their clothes, their skin, their smell, their social skills, or their education. And we'll know that we're successful in this when, we don't, when um, we're friends with people who don't look like us. Those who are vulnerable will feel um, honour, not shame. And they will find themselves at the centre and not the edge. And I want to thank and honour those people who have stuck with us despite feeling judged and excluded. And I want to say I'm so sorry. I want to th thank you from the bottom of my heart for sticking with us. We are impure people and we need the mercy of God. And I want to thank those who have been leading the way in this for years. And I'm not saying this is entirely absent from our church. One of the most beautiful things in our food bank um, that I've seen this year is that some people um, who are receiving food are no longer receiving food, but they've so enjoyed the conversations that they've had with our referral teams that they've said, I still want to get the calls. I still want to be your friends. That is a beautiful example of that. But we need further purifying. Let's not deceive ourselves in that. It sounds so simple, doesn't it? Don't ignore those who look and sound different to you. But we've been socialised in very specific ways which direct us away from people who are different to us. We've been taught to put our needs first. Think back to the time when you could walk into church. 
That was a nice time, wasn't it? Um, what drove you to particular people and away from others? We've been taught to prioritise safety. So when we walk into a room, we look, well, who makes me feel safe? As opposed to who can I make feel safe? And it sounds ridiculous, um, but something I know that drives me is this, this need for fun and for attention. And it drives me, uh, in, in, as I walk into a room, to be like a homing pigeon of, of where is the fun and that's where I'm going. And it sounds so harmless, doesn't it? But until someone pointed out that actually it meant that I was writing off a whole bunch of people. And the few times that I actually practiced self-awareness um, and wasn't a slave to my judgments, I actually found that I ended up having conversations that were enriching me um, rather than letting the clown rule. Power drives us. Who can give me something in this room? It might even be socially. Who's going to make me more popular? Who's going to invite, introduce me to the, the right people? How can I get into the core club at KXC, which FYI is a mythical group that everyone else thinks everybody else is involved in, um, including myself? Part of the purification process is to let the muck come to the surface so that we can repent of it and God can begin to remove it. And there'll be people listening to this and you're sat there going, yeah, this is KXC's problem. Yeah, do you know what? I can think of X, Y, and Z. That's their issue. Yep. Yeah. We'll start naming and shaming in our minds. And Jesus gives us a great bit of teaching on this in Matthew 7. He says, if you want to remove the impurity from someone else, if you want to take that speck of dust outside, out of their eye, then first of all, take the plank out of your own eye. If we treated our impurities and our imperfections as planks in everybody else's tiny specks of dust, that would make us very gentle when it comes to um, naming and shaming. We all need the mercy of God. That's the one thing that unites us. And it is his kindness to reveal these impurities to us. And James is saying, you see that divisive behavior in the world, but it does not belong in the church. KXC, it does not belong in our church. It's his kindness to reveal this impurity in us, not because he wants to shame us, but because he wants to skim it off, because he wants to purify us. The church is not a popularity contest. It is not to be racist. It's not to be classist. That doesn't belong in the church. Comfort is not an idol that leads to life. And we have never been more malleable as a church. I'm saying like individually, as per personally, but as corporately, and also I believe nationally as well. We're in the fire, we're in this process, and we can either work with the spirit in it, or we can work against him and just cover up our ears. We have a choice. Will we let the spirit do his refining work in us? Will we let him purify our hearts? And I believe this message is crucial as we are on the cusp, KXC, of getting King's house. It's almost going to be signed. Well, that place could be a place that facilitates that type of community centered around the mercy of Jesus. That's the one thing that we all have. We need the mercy of Jesus. Or it will just be a space, bricks and concrete, where we continue to exist in the divisions. The divisions will continue unless we allow the spirit to work in us.